0: All right, and I'm going to be reading today from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verse 10 through 4, chapter 4, verse 3. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do do well to be angry? This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon. Last week, we've launched a launched into this new year with the theme of living in awe of God. As you see this beautifully designed uh, poster behind me, this idea of awe of God as it was sung by our brother Jisoo. Uh, and we said last week, the object of our awe, there's my daughter. Hello. Okay, mommy's coming. All right. She always made it. Next week, maybe, you, you can do it. Um, we said last week... Regarding this idea of all, the object of our all, where we look at, where we look for meaning, where we look for identity, whether that's our family, friends, finances, you fill in the blank, whatever that is for you will deeply shape the direction of not only your life, but also my life. In fact, it's not an overstatement to say all the challenges and all the temptations and problems that are facing you and that the world is facing today whether that's unrest in Ethiopia, whether that's unrest in Kazakhstan, we heard this 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 week. All of these challenges and difficulties all over the world are a result of misalignment in this area. It is the very thing that shapes our greatest moments of joy and our deepest moments of sorrow. That's true for a three-year-old, like my daughter was coming up to the stage. That is true for me who is almost 40 That is true even for a a man in their 80s and 90s. So last week we looked at Genesis chapter 3, one of the more popular stories and the most heartbreaking story in all of scripture, the story of Adam and Eve and the decision, the devastating decision that they made. Because prior to Genesis 3, we saw that there was no sin, no sickness, no animosity, but only a perfect sense of peace, shalom. The only place where there was no shalom, shalom was everywhere except in the heart of Adam and Eve. There was a sense of discontentment in their hearts, and it began to grow, and eventually in Genesis 3, we see that Adam and Eve bought into the most devastating lie of all lies. The most devastating lie of all lies. And it is the same lie that rules the heart of every sinner. The belief, the lies, the belief that life can be found somewhere outside of Creator. right? This belief that we buy into. It is, the, it is the hope and the true spiritual peace, rest and satisfaction can be found somewhere outside of the Creator God, the God of Shalom. And really, in fact, this is what sin does to us. At a foundational level, this is what sin does to us. Right, We talked about this last week. At a deep and often unnoticed level, sin replaces worship of God with worship of self. That was true of Adam and Eve. That was true of Cain, their eldest son. That was true of the story of Jonah, the passage that was read this, this afternoon by our sister Emily. So today we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, if you have your Bible apps, turn to Jonah chapter 4. We read from end of chapter 3 to chapter 4. And Jonah's story isn't given to us as a model of someone who's faithfully lived out their calling. In fact, most of characters in the Old Testament and New Testament aren't really models for us to follow. Instead, Jonah's story, all of Jonah's story, gives us window into a life whose all has awfully gone wrong. And our passage helps us ident- identify some of the common symptoms. So we're going to be talking about some of the symptoms that we can find, not in only in Jonah's life, but in our lives, if we misplace our all. I have three that I want to look at, but first, a little bit of context of the story of Jonah. Right, we, we, we know the story of Jonah. We, if you grew up in the church, you've heard the Sunday school version of the whale, Jonah. The book of Jonah is one of the most fascinating stories in all of scripture. And we really don't know how what happens at the end between Jonah and God. It ends in a cliffhanger between Jonah and God disagreeing and talking about their own opinions of what how things should have went down. But the, the beginning of the story in Jonah chapter 1 God tells Jonah his prophet to go to Nineveh, right? His his Israelite and God sends Jonah to his enemy state the city of his enemy, Nineveh. So Jonah not only refuses to go, but what does he do? God says, go east, he goes west. He gets into a boat going the opposite direction, exact opposite direction. So God sends a storm and a whale and a few days for Jonah to reconsider his choices. After a few days in in the belly of whale, Jonah reluctantly agrees to go and preach the message of repentance to the city of Nineveh, his enemy state. And hearing Jonah's uninspiring message, right? Jonah chapter 3, it's the shortest sermon ever preached in all of Old Testament, repent, right? Hearing uninspiring message of repentance, the whole city, to everyone's surprise, the whole city of Nineveh turns from their evil ways and repents, and God forgives and he relents the judgment that was coming to that city. And so the book, chapter 4, our passage today, comes to a close. The book of Jonah comes to a close with Jonah reacting extremely angry at God's decision to relent his anger and not destroy the city. This is where we pick up the story. Uh, we'll read from Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. Verse 1, it says, it, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, circle angry, and he prayed, and, and, he, and, and, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, there's only one thing I want. Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And then there's another conversation. There is a plant, and there's a worm, and Jonah sits outside, and sort of story ends with this conversation, not knowing what happens at the end to Jonah. But how did Jonah get here? Why was Jonah so angry and upset? At the surface level, right Jonah hates the city of Nineveh. It, 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 he can't stand these people and, and disagrees with God's decision to show mercy. He's like, "God, don't you know how terrible these people are? Don't you know how much they've made our lives worse? How can you relent and let these people live? That's, that's, at, at the surface level, right? we could see why Jonah's upset. But if you look at deeper into Jonah's anger, if you unpack really the anger that we see in chapter 4, it's not simple that he isn't getting what he wants. It's somewhere along the way of serving God, being his prophet, going on these mission trips and journeys, doing ministry, Jonah has lost his all. In fact, he's misplaced, he's replaced His awe of God with awe of self, just like Adam and Eve, just like Cain, just like so many characters we find in Scripture. So let's talk about three symptoms, three very clear symptoms we see through Jonah chapter 4. The first symptom is self-centeredness. You see, in our passage, Jonah is fixated on his own sense of what is just, his sense of justice, Nineveh has to be punished for their sins and what they've done to us. So verse 5, Jonah storms out of the city. Right? He, he's done. He's like, okay, God, I'm angry, I'm upset. So he walks out of the city and makes a little booth for himself. And he sat under, under this booth in the shade to see what would become of the city. He's like, I've told my, I have told God what I wanted. I'm going to see if God's going to continue to relent in his anger. The author tells us in verse 6 of Jonah 4, God appointed a plant. Right, God wants to, wants to have this conversation, continue this conversation about how he feels about the city of Nineveh. So God appointed a plant to provide a shade for Jonah, and it immediately made him exceedingly glad. Jonah's life finally happy. He's angry from chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and he's finally happy because of this little plant. And then next day, the plant is taken away. God sends a worm and worm eats the plant. It's very comical, the story. And verse 11, God says, so Jonah's now really upset again. He wants to die again. And and, and God's God's now engaging in this conversation. God says, you are upset upset about this plant that you did not labor for, that you did not grow. But God says in verse 11, but what about... These people, should I not pity Nineveh? Just like you pity this plant in your situation, should I not have compassion on these people who do not know what is right and what is wrong? Right? See, God is revealing Jonah's heart. Jonah has no compassion for 120,000 people in this city who does not know what is right, what is wrong. Yet he is devastated by this tiny little plant that was here for a day and that is now gone, right? God is revealing to Jonah where his heart is. He's self-centered. Self-centeredness literally means, it's a very easy word to unpack, that you are at the center. You're putting yourself in the center of your life. Friends, when you and I live this way, we are left with no higher agenda than to live for ourselves. We see this everywhere, this idea of self-centeredness. Life quickly will become all about getting what we want, meeting all of our needs, and acting on our feelings. If you watch TV now, right? I've been watching these shows on Netflix and Disney Plus. Um, If you watch athletes speak about their contracts and being taken care of, just general mass media, Maybe 20 years ago this wasn't this wasn't sort of common, but the common theme I find when people make decisions, whether it's about their contract, whether it's about pursuing love, whether it's about anything, you know, the way people speak is 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 now people people say, I'm following my heart. I'm doing what I think is right. I think 20 years ago, this wasn't that common. 20, 30 years ago, this wasn't how people explained away the decisions they made. But now, if you say, I'm, making, I'm, I'm doing what's best for me. I'm, I'm doing what my heart tells me to do. I think no one can question that decision. It's almost like, oh, that, that's great. And I'm thinking, that's really selfish, right? These athletes, right, making decisions and, and these, these people pursuing love. And, and if we explain away... I think in our workplace, wherever we go, if we tell our boss, hey, we're, we're doing what's best for me, I think that's accepted in our, in our culture where it wasn't maybe 20, 30 years ago. Much more prevalent in our culture today than maybe even 20, 30 years ago. See, life quick, quickly becomes about getting what you want, meeting all your needs, acting on our feelings. How important is our feelings? Very important. And we will... Become obsessed with pursuing our own sense of what is good and what is not. That's Jonah. Jonah is so sure that these these, these people in Nineveh need to be punished. They're evil. I'm good. God, you should punish them. Do not let them live. Self centeredness is the first symptom. Second symptom is entitlement that we see in this text. Verse 3, Jonah, what does Jonah demand? After everything, after seeing God's mercy, God's grace, what does, what's one thing that jo- Jonah demands? He says, Jonah demands God to take away his life. He says, God, let me die. Take away my life. Friends, when you when your life ceases to be about God, you will often hear yourself say or maybe think more, more than say, because saying makes us feel uneasy we often catch us think i deserve more god owes me you fill in the blank i have a right to feel this way i have a right to have this thing i have a right to pursue these things the sense of entitlement will blind you to believe that it is your god-given right to demand things not only from others but from god right in fact In fact, you will judge the love of God, how God feels about you, and the people in your life by their willingness to meet your agendas, meet your demands. You see, Jonah demanded in this passage that God take away his life, not once, but he does it again at the end of the chapter, right? When the plant is taken away, he says, just take my life, God. I demand this. You see, through... My years of pastoral counseling, you know, unfortunately, over the years, I've heard many people say, I don't want to live anymore. I have no reason to live anymore. And I know each time this was said in, our, in, our, in, in my conversation with people in our congregation, other places, that these people were in extreme amount of pain, not to minimize their pain. A lot of people have gone through a lot of difficult things, abuse, um, mistreatment, just unthinkable pain, unthinkable things. Yet the matter of life and death, you know, what's clear is it's not our decision. Jonah has a sense of entitlement. It's God, I want to die. You see, the decision to whether to live or die is God's. He's the giver of life, and He's the one who decides whether we live or die. We see this sense of entitlement in Jonah's voice. The third symptom, uh, and, and I think this is sort of a symptom that I return to often personally for me, is anger. Anger, I've learned over the years in my moments of anger and, 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 and lashing out, anger is also a sure sign that you, your all has gone wrong, right? Jonah became angry indignant because... Why? He has inserted himself in the middle of his, his own little world. And his, in his little world, Israel was good and Nineveh was not. Israel deserved chances upon chances. Like Jonah acts like Israel has been always good. Right? He's been the pro, he's the prophet of God. He's probably gone to God's people many times, telling them to repent, telling them to turn from their ways, right? But but in his little world, what's funny is. To Jonah, Israel deserves chances upon chances upon chances. And Nineveh, they should not be given that chance. You see, Jonah's view of God's goodness was directly attached to his own experience of happiness. What makes me happy? Right now, God, I'm not happy because you are forgiving my enemies. You see, Jonah cannot see God for who he is. In his functional theology, not just what he knows, but in the way he lives out his theology, he had reduced God to a divine butler. You see, most people, I've I've realized, years of pastoral ministry, most people who are angry and bitter towards God, they're not angry because he has failed to deliver what he has promised. They're angry because... He has failed to deliver what they have craved, expected, and even demanded. Again, when all of self replaces all of God, God ceases to be your Lord and Master. He becomes a glorified butler or some sort of genie. And, And before we can just move on, if we're really honest, if you think about the way we pray and what we pray, the way we come to worship, the way we think about relationship with God, the way we give offering. Often, even our worship is a way of buying God's favor, of remaining in His good grace. We approach God as, as if He is a glorified butler, right? And, and, and way of, and, and so our, our, our act of worship, whether it's coming to sing, coming to hear the sermon, serving, giving, a lot of times we do this out of not only guilt, but out of this desire to keep, to keep this transactional relationship going. Right? God we come and worship, God we serve, God we gave, God we're faithful. So really, you got to keep us healthy, and you got to keep us healthy. You got to keep us safe. And that really comes out, right? That doesn't come out every day, every time we come to worship. That comes out when when life hits you in the face, when things get hard, when things get really difficult, when you find out you you have cancer, when you find out someone you, you you loved has passed away, when you find out some kind of tragedy in your life. That's when these, the reality of what we really believe comes out. I realized for me, too, like 2020 was a tough year for me. And I didn't realize how transactional my worship was or, or the way I served. But when crap hit the fan, when life got really difficult and hard and I could barely breathe, man, that's when I realized, wow, I, the way I pray and the way I think about God is God is this glorified butler. that, uh, And so I pray, God, well, Why is this happening? Why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult? And I realized I was was angry, not because God did not keep his promise. I was angry because what? My cravings, my expectation, what I demanded was not met. God never promised these things. So we're almost done, actually. I wanted to keep it short and sweet so that we can spend more time praying. So, how do we move away from these ways of life—self-centeredness, the need for control, um, the, the the anger, uh, this idea of the spiritual exhaustion, spiritual coldness? How do we how do we live different? How do we move away from these ways of life? Well, friends, I, I want to tell you there's no quick fix. There's Really quick fixes, when you, when you hear there are these quick fixes, that's actually not true. There's no quick fix to our awe problem. This is actually, it's going to take a whole year to unpack this topic of awe. This is the theme of our year, because it's going to take a whole year to unpack. It's not simple. But the first thing, the right place to start is we, what we can do is confess. Acknowledge and confess that we have cold and fickle and often selfish heart. That story of Jonah is not just a story of a fallen man, but it's, it's our story. It's my story. It's your story. And what we need to do is we need to fall on our knees. If you need to fall on your knees, you can do that in this place. We need to fall on knees before the great physician in humility and brokenness and grief. We need to grieve. We need to really grieve the way we have treated God the way we have lived out our faith and confess the all amnesia that eats away at our heart like a spiritual cancer friends this is spiritual cancer you know it's it's unseen and and you might not feel the immediate effect of misplacing you all but slowly surely it's going to kill and destroy every part of your life And we need to plead for the eyes to see and heart that remembers. Remember, I don't know how long it's been for you, but I remember when I first came to Christ. I remember I was like 13 at this wild retreat, um, crazy preaching. I don't know what was even preached, but I remember like, Pastor Tom, you got to repent, you got to go to hell. I'm like, okay, Jesus, I accept you. Uh, even though that was wild and crazy, I look back to those, those, those days, what I, what I remember is those sweet moments of really recognizing, God, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. And that you would love me, a sinner. And that, that remembering of that first love, how passionate, how sincere my faith was. And I, look, and I look at my faith now, years have passed and how insincere my faith can be, how transactional my faith and my worship can be. And I grieve. And I think we ought to grieve. We, 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 we shouldn't brush it off like, oh, we were young. We know life better. No. I think we need to return to those moments. And ask God for eyes to see and hearts and hearts that can remember what we've we've been saved from. Friends, you can choose to keep running. That's another choice. But here's a painful reality. You may be able to run from a situation. You may be able to run from a relationship. You may be able to run from a location like Jonah did in our passage. But you know one place you cannot run from is you. Friends, our problem is not that we have difficult children. That may be true for many of us. It's not that we have unempathetic spouse or, or, or friends that just simply won't understand. Our problem isn't that we don't have enough degrees we don't have enough money, enough knowledge of scripture, enough stability, enough recognition in life, and career, in other places. Even the fact that we feel utterly misunderstood or misrepresented, that's not the core of our issue. You see, our problem is us. That's the problem. And unfortunately, too many of us are like Jonah, are not very different from Jonah, right? Continue to run instead of addressing what lies beneath our own hearts. But here is a wonderful truth, and, and we'll land here, and I want to invite the worship team. Here's a wonderful truth. When we can muster up the courage to see the problems within, that takes courage, that will give us courage to finally look to the only one who can truly begin to heal our broken hearts. The gospel is this, friends, the gospel is this. Jesus came into our world as one of us. He has won the battle that we continue to lose. He came to set us free from ourselves and our ways of life, to free us from a sense of entitlement and control and anger and whatever you're struggling with. And Jesus dealt with all those temptations of wanting to be selfish, wanting control wanting resolution, yet he did not sin. And therefore, through him and the life that he lived is what empowers you and I to face each day. And then this is what gives us courage and hope this afternoon. It's not this whole idea, we, we can't be like Jonah. No, we are like Jonah. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we want to be selfless, no matter how hard we want to give up control and trust God, we can't. That is not what qualifies us. That is not what strengthens us. What strengthens us is what Christ has accomplished. The life that he lived, the death he died. and That's what allows us to be sons and daughters. It doesn't matter how you feel this afternoon. It doesn't matter what you've done or how you have not lived or what you have not done. It only matters that we fall on our knees and cry out to our Savior Christ. Amen. I'm going to lead us into a few topics. Um, Again, I went like 15 minutes. So now I bought 15 minutes for us to be able to pray and seek the Lord together. Um, Let's take a few minutes uh, and get comfortable. If you need to spread out, spread out. Let's spend a few minutes reflecting on some of the challenges you're facing. And would you bring those things to the the Lord, whether challenges at work, whether it's challenges in relationship, challenges in your marriage, challenges in parenting, whether it's your challenge of overcoming anger or control or self-centeredness, would you bring these challenges to the Lord and say, Lord, I bring these things to you. Recognize these things. Let's took like a few few minutes, just reflecting, a few minutes reflecting and thinking through some of these challenges. sense of being right, my own fear of being wrong, my own idea of what is good and what is not. And how I think you should wonder what myself and mechanized oh, I am more like John I am most like John Can we also spend some time, as you brought these challenges and brought these struggles, can we also go to the Lord in repentance? That's the first place. Perhaps that's the only place that we can go to. And as you repent of your involvement and in, in, in your sin in these areas, would you also repent of the way you have related to the Lord? Well, if your worship uh, was about getting what you want out of from, from God, would you repent of that? If your commitment and your service was about securing your, your whatever you desire in your heart from God, would you repent of that? And as part of repenting, would you now recognize God you are the Lord, you are my master. You are the creator God. You are not created like me. Would you declare, would you even speak to yourself of the gloriness of God, who God is, how wonderful He is, how grand He is. This is, this is my Father's world. Like, like we sang, this is my Father's world. And He invites us he invites us to work. He invites us to play. He invites us to rest. But we've we got to remember, this is not our world. We're not at the center of this world. God is. Let's take a few minutes um, praying to that topic. Father, we invite you, God, to this place. Father, I invite you to worship this community, God, I invite you, God, in the areas, this is your world, God. this is your creation, you hold everything together, That I do not, Lord. you hold this community together, a lot often my confession is, God, I, 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 think, God you know, I think I know how to get us out of this, it. I know, I think what's best for us, but what I don't, the truth is, you know, God. you are far greater, far more suffering, that we could ever pretend to be. Dead. so the Lord. We recognize, Lord, I repent of the way we think about church, of the way we think about community, the I mean, you way know, I think about Repent of my anger. Repent of God, what I think I deserve. I recognize, God, Lord, you are, you, are, you are the creator, God, who spoke creation of the words, God. Would you move us from places place of. Self-centeredness, God, and to give up control, to give up this idea of entitlement, the sense of entitlement. Culture. last prayer guys Um, as I was preparing um, and and thinking through my own anger and bitterness towards God you know I I realize there's a lot of people that are angry at God that are bitter towards God that I realize um, that maybe you realize Um, but I want to pray for you if you are in that place. Uh, if you have a sense of anger and bitterness towards God for whatever reason, because of something happened or because something did not happen, and that's where you feel like your relationship has been stuck with God, you know, as a sign of faith, would you just raise your hand where you are? and I just want to pray for you. Uh, no one's going to look. We just want to pray for you. If there's a, a sense of bitterness or anger in your relationship with God, uh, I want to thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Let me pray. Let me pray for you, Lord. We thank you for your sons and daughters. Uh, Lord, we thank you um, for the hearts that want to be restored, the hearts that want to unpack the sense of bitterness and anger that they feel towards you, God. So I pray, Holy Spirit, only you can soften hearts, only you can comfort, only you can reveal. So would you, would you remember these brothers and sisters that have raised their hand, wanting to restore, wanting to to understand, wanting to move from this place of bitterness and anger to a place of worship, God. Renew us, Holy Spirit. Remind us once again. Restore us in that place. Lord, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for this reminder through life of Jonah. Lord, would you continue as as you so compassionately, out of kindness of your heart, as you engage with Jonah in this conversation, would you continue to engage with us? We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your hand of of amazing work. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.